lots and lots of spoilers. Welcome, my friends, to Max Mike Movies, where Mike and I will be spending the rest of our lives in the future. My friends, there are some directors whose towering genius shakes the very pillars of the world. Coppola, Fellini, Spielberg, Hitchcock. Think of them, my friends. Now think of the exact opposite of them, and you've got one steaming pile of Ed Wood Jr., a man who some have argued is the worst director ever to stink up an American soundstage. This week, in our In Ancient Times, the 90s, we're talking about one of Tim Burton's more daring pieces of work, the biopic, sort of, Ed Wood, starring Johnny Depp, Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parkica, <laughs> and that lovable grump George the Animal Steel. We all know from The Muppet Show, this movie follows a portion of the career of the titular character through his attempts to just tell stories that no one wants to hear. I love to wear my Sarah Jessica Parker coat when it's cold out. <laughs> or read stories like Plan 9 from Outer Space, Glenn or Glenda, and The Sinister Urge. I am one of your hosts, Max the Invertebrate Levine, and over there, struggling in the rubber arms of a motorized octopus, is Mike I Hate Boris Karloff Loose. <laughs> Just call me the tingler. Keep flailing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fix it in post. What post? Yeah, what's post? Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Edward, Ed Tim Burton. Yeah. Well, this was one of what I think was supposed to be one of Tim Burton's serious movies. Uh, really? It's hard to tell the series he gets. We will talk about that, but first, some business. Oh, yes. We are Max Mike Movies, and if you you can uh, find us on the podcast app of your choice, like the Apple one or the Google one, you can find us at our website, maxmikemovies.com, which with our entire back catalog stretching over 300 years. Or Uh, two. uh, Yeah, or two. I get those mixed up. Uh, they're right next to each other on the keyboard, sort of. One, three hundred, four. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's right. And uh, you can also find us uh, on Spotify, also under Max Mike Movies. And, of course, we are socially mediocre on uh, the Facebooks and the Twitters under Max Mike Movies. Yeah. And if you would be so kind, it turns out that uh, those rating things actually could lead to more listeners. And that's what we love, listeners. We love so, our listeners. We, we love more of them all the time. We, so, could love a, we could love millions of you all at the same time. That's not dirty. <laughs> anyway, if you would be so kind to drop us a, a rating, um, oh, you know, five stars is plenty uh, uh, on one of those app things. and Give uh, us Mike, all the stars, Five is fine. Five is fine. <laughs> Max wants eleven, but he'll get he'll settle for five. Isn't that nice of him? <laughs> yes, but it could go to eleven. No, it doesn't. It only goes to oh. five. This one goes to eleven anyway. Yes, trivia, uh, trivia, <laughs> of which there is some, not as much as I would have thought, but the show. So again, this is Tim Burton. Uh, the budget for this was. $18 million. Pretty low for him. That much, The worldwide huh? gross, $5.8 million. This ah. was, Yeah, this was not a commercial success. It what was, however, critically very well received. This movie won two Oscars. Well, I know one of them. That was Martin yeah, Landau. Yeah, one, of course, is Martin Landau, Best Supporting Actor, richly deserved. Mm. 
The other was Rick Baker. Yes, oh. that Rick Baker, American Werewolf in London Rick Baker for Best Makeup. Yeah, you really did not know. Like, I no. did not realize how much makeup Bella, I'm sorry, uh, Martin was wearing playing Bella. But it was like ears, nose. I mean, it's, and they get really close. And I didn't. They really do. Didn't even and think it twice. it's uncanny. You stop. That was one of the few movies where I've actually stopped thinking about the actor and just thought, oh, boy, Lugosi looks terrible. Yeah. Uh, apparently, though, I should say Johnny Depp gets Ed Wood's look pretty pretty close because uh, mm. one day Ed Wood's wife, or you know, uh, form, former oh. wife as he was he was dead at the time, Kathy Wood, mm-hmm. formerly Kathy O'Hara, uh, visited the set and asked wanted to meet Johnny Depp, and they were filming the scene where Wood was supposed to look really messed up. His hair's all over the place. You know, he's just suffered uh, this big setback. And it made Burton really nervous because, you know, what would Kathy think of the movie? And Depp walks out of his trailer looking like hell, and she just looks over and goes, that's my Eddie. <laughs> yeah, apparently wow. they really nailed that. Great. This film, by the way, cost more to produce than all <laughs> of Edward's films, every single one put together, in fact... It's been estimated that the opening title and credit sequence of this movie cost more in unadjusted dollars than the entire budget of all of Ed Wood's movies. And if you've ever seen any of Ed Wood's movies, you will not be in any way surprised. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Burton said he was drawn to the story because of the similarities in uh, Wood's relationship with Bella Lugosi and Burton's own friendship with Vincent Price later in the actor's life. Mm. So how you got price to be in a couple of his movies yes he did i think edward scissorhands is vincent price's last film appearance might be it's damn close if it's not uh we also at one point have vincent d'onofrio plays orson wells sort of well sort of he burton was not happy with his voice and of course we all know who he dubbed him with don't we mike yes we do yes <laughs> yes, Pinky. It was the great Maurice LaMarche. Yeah. And the thing is, is if, like when I saw this film, I don't think they'd done Animaniacs yet. I don't think so. So we so, weren't really used to that. No. But looking back now, it's like, oh, it's the brain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bel- now, so the movie takes a number of liberties with a number of things. You think so? It skates right over the fact that uh, Wood was a raging alcoholic for most of his life. Uh, oddly enough, oh, one of the other things is that they they emphasize how alone Bella Lugosi is. Mm-hmm. He was married at the time to his fifth wife, Hope, and they had a son, Bella Lugosi Jr. How's that for a thing to name your kid? <laughs> and uh, Lugosi Jr. read the script, and his major objection to the portrayal of Lugosi was the way he talked, because he said his father was a very classy guy who never used foul language. <laughs> This has been corroborated by other people who actually knew Lugosi. So, again, a pretty big liberty taken. And it, it's too bad because it's really funny. <laughs> it really is hearing, you know, Dracula swearing like a sailor. Uh, Martin Landau did win the Academy Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. This was the first time in the history of the Oscars that a performer in any category won an award for playing a movie star. It wasn't for another 10 years when Kate Blanchett won Best Supporting Actress for playing Katherine Hepburn in The Aviator. It just wasn't done. You didn't give awards for that. 
Oh, Mr. Arnott. <laughs> uh, Dolores, uh, Dolores Fuller, who was almost Mrs. Ed Wood. Yeah. And uh, who, who we see in the movie is shown as, no, you know, Ed tells her that he is a transvestite when, when she's reading the script. In reality, Dolores was never shown the entire script. Just little snippets, and only when absolutely necessary. She didn't know of that Ed was a transvestite until she saw the completed film. She was not happy about this. <laughs> though, though rage and confusion on her face in the final scene of Glenn or Glenda, that ain't acting. Well, because neither was the scene of her in the chair gripping the arms and yeah. throwing her head back. Uh yeah. Johnny Depp at this point was doing that thing. I don't know if he started it with Pirates of the Caribbean, where he would base his performance on two or three people or things. Like he said, he based Captain Jack Sparrow on a combination of Keith Richards and Pepe Le Pew, and uh, Willy Wonka. He based on Michael Jackson and a marionette. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, apparently he based his characterization of Ed Wood on a mixture of the blind optimism of Ronald Reagan. The Enthusiasm of the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz, and Casey Kasem. What? <laughs> yeah, that is what Mr. Depp tells us. I don't know if I believe that, Scoob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, he certainly didn't base it on Ed. No, no. He par- Honestly, when you see him with that little pencil-thin mustache, yeah. I kept thinking of John Waters. Yeah, That's well, I mean, really... Ed, at various points, because Ed shows up in his own films, to be fair, besides Glenn or Glenda, it's usually in the background, like Blink and You'll Miss Him. Um, but he does at some point have a little mustache like that, so. Uh, this is the first film by Tim Burton not to feature Danny Elfman's music score. Yeah, like, that's a shame. This... Yeah. Uh, I this is it's Howard Shore who would later go on to do mm. some much better things like Lord of oh, the Rings. Yeah. This is not one of his best scores. No, no. Uh, in the film, where the the footage of Bela Lugosi picking a flower, one of the last things he was ever filmed doing, they claim it's filmed outside of Lugosi's house. It's, it's not. not. It's Tor Johnson's house. Yeah. You can tell by the reinforced porch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah. Uh, to give Tor Johnson was a massive, bulky man. Even George the Animal Steel, a professional wrestler, very well known in the WWF, by the way, or excuse me, now it's a WWE, uh, was actually given extra weighted shoes because he couldn't get the lumbering walk that Tor <laughs> had right. He, yeah, they had to bulk up George the Animal Steel, who was not exactly a lightweight. No. Mm. There's that one uh, scene where he's just eating a whole chicken <laughs> with his hands. Yep, yep. <laughs> What's the uh, matter, Mr. Bunny? I hope you'll be coming a lady. <laughs> I, I have to say, I thought that was a very touching scene. Because he's so non-judgmental. Yeah. There's a, a character in this uh, we'll get to, who we'll get to, played by Bill Murray. Yeah. Uh, Bunny Breckenridge, John C. Bunny Breckenridge, is, you know, very clearly gay and wants to be... <laughs> what? Very clear. Wow. You need to underline and put exclamation points after very clearly gay. Um, Because he has one part that I've ever seen. He plays the supreme leader in Plan 9. And (laughs) what plan will you follow now? Oh, my God. Really? (laughs) Yeah. He was apparently, he was inspired by Christine Jorgensen, and he wanted to go go to Mexico. 
and get a sex change operation, which fortunately he did not do as, well, the Mexican operations they, they used to do were less than successful, apparently. Right. But there is a very, I thought it's very touching when Tor comes over to him and says that. And there's no judgment. There's no anger or contempt. He's just interested. You know, I thought you were going to become a woman. <laughs> Uh, that part, by the way, Bunny Breckenridge originally had almost no dialogue. But when they added Bill Murray, uh, Burton said, oh, we got to give him more to say. Yeah. And we'll uh, get to that, too. Yeah. Uh, one story claims that the producers decided to make the film in black and white because nobody could decide how Bella Lugosi would look filmed in color. Hmm. That's probably apocryphal. I just assumed it was supposed to harken back to the fact that all of Ed Wood's films were black and white. As uh, Bella points out in the octopus scene, because he, of course, is always dis- very dismissive. He really did not like his uh, compatriot and at one time co-worker, Boris Karloff. And uh, he dismisses him in Frankenstein and says, it's a monster. It's all makeup and grunting. <laughs> and it's true. Bella Lugosi was offered the part of Frankenstein's monster. And he turned it down because it didn't have any speaking lines, and it was sort of like a one-dimensional killing machine without depth. Karloff was offered the part. By that time, it went through enormous changes, including basically an entirely different part. It was totally rewritten in a new director, James Whale. So it uh, turned out to be a much, it was a much more uh, meaty, as it were, part mm. than it started, than uh, Lugosi thought it was going to be. There's an interesting thing with the music. I had not noticed this until I read this and then I paid attention. Whenever Bella in the movie is experiencing a sad moment, you hear Swan Lake playing in the background. Is it Swan Lake? I thought it was the theme to Dr. Zhivago. No, it is Tchaikovsky's Swan oh. Lake and and it cuz that's what's played in the credits of 1931's Dracula. Oh, when, yeah. Yeah. We mm-hmm. did that a long time ago. Yeah. When Ed is experiencing a happy moment, the theme for from Glenn or Glenda is played in the background. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get because there's there, you, you folks will need a primer for this. It's one of my uh, one of my notes, but uh, yeah. we'll talk about the movie so you have some vague idea because we don't need you to go watch all these movies. No, we you, yeah, and you don't need to watch them. No, uh, there are a couple of interesting cameos: Gregory Walcott, the star. Er- <clears throat> Of Plan Nine, <laughs> the main character from Plan Nine from Outer Space plays a potential backer. He's the one who introduces Wood to Vampira. Yes, and also to be fair, he did go on to have a relatively successful mm. career. He actually was in a couple of uh, John Wayne movies. Yeah, no, he he pulled himself out of the morass that was Wood. There's a very strange cameo. I don't know if it counts as a cameo. I think this was just a job. One of the other backers, he's listed in the credit as the Hick backer, this is at the party at the uh, Brown Derby, is played by King Cotton, who, of course, we all remember as Roscoe from Tapeheads. (laughs) Yep. Roscoe's the name, and they they call call me the the king. king. Grandmaster of the chicken and the waffle thing. I just remember thinking, when I saw that in the credits, it's like, no, really? Did you catch somebody else? One of your close personal friends was in the credits. Yes, Rance Rance Howard, Howard. in a rare speaking part. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing is, I saw him, and it's like, I, and I was going through the credits just for fun, and I saw Walcott, and I'm like, oh my god, he's actually in this. And then I saw Rance Howard, because mm. Rance Howard is, he's been in hundreds of films. but Like 300 movies. Yeah. yeah, but he's, and this is, for those who don't know, Rance Howard is the father of Ron Howard and... Uh, Grandfather Howard. of uh, Br- of Bryce Dallas Howard. Right. Um, but his face, he actually, he plays the uh, the 
the beef cutter. Uh, he yeah. owns the, the beef packing plant. Yep. Uh, and he talks and then he spits and i'm like oh that face looks familiar and i honestly thought he played the toll bridge guy in it's a wonderful life but it wasn't him yeah i don't think it was i don't think he was in that but yeah it it wouldn't be hard for him you know it's an easy mistake to make because rance is in everything yeah he will of course team up with uh, johnny depp later in um the uh lone ranger yes yes he will although i i think his scene was actually cut Aw. Yeah, I know. Maybe in the extended, you know, super Blu-ray, yeah. fudgy that, castle. Yep, that was where Rance got in big trouble with his wife, because at the time, I believe he was 88, and he insisted on doing his own stunt of jumping <laughs> off the moving train. And his wife was very displeased and was coming over to give him trouble when he noticed there was Johnny Depp as Tonto, standing there in nothing but a loincloth, and he goes, Honey, have you met Johnny Depp? <laughs> And that was an excellent distraction, apparently. <laughs> yeah, uh, rest, it be? rest, rest in peace, Rance. You will, you will be missed. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, what I've got. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that in 1998 there was a previously unfilmed script by Wood called "I Woke Up Early the Day I Died," and ah. it got produced. It was starring Billy Zane and Christina Ricci, with appearances by get this, Tippi Hedren. Bud Court of Harold and Maud fame, Sandra Bernhardt, Karen Black, John Ritter, and a bunch of others. Okay. It was not commercially released. They released it in a very brief New York theatrical engagement, and it is only available in video in Germany because of contractual difficulties. So ever get a chance, uh, that'll be a real collector's item, folks. <laughs> when in Germany, make sure to I, visit the theater that's showing the I day woke I woke up, up early the day, the day I died. Yep. Yeah, that'll, that'll, yeah. Yeah, that's that. That's pretty much it. So, tell the plot. Dying to oh. hear this. Tell oh, the yeah. plot. <laughs> the plot. Ed Wood Jr., excuse me, Edward D. Wood Jr., is a director with a vision. Just what that vision is, nobody really knows. Convinced of his own genius, but utterly able to convince even the most crapulent studio to produce his movies, he collects a crew of actors? Friends. Friends. And he does his best to produce, write, direct, and in a couple of cases, star in his own movies. He catches a break of sorts when he befriends out of work, so far over the hill that the hill can't be seen anymore, actor Bella Lugosi, but Bella Lugosi turns out to be less of an asset and more of a liability, despite the strange but very real friendship that grows between him and Wood. This is Tim Burton's sort of biopic about the man singled out by the Golden Turkey Awards as the worst director of all time, at least as of 1980. It stars Johnny Depp as Wood himself and gave Martin Landau a chance to win an Oscar for his portrayal of Bella Lugosi. That's, that's it. pretty much that's it. So, Ed Wood, uh, yeah, so as Max pointed out at the end of his uh, his um, wrap-up of the plot, um, the reason anybody really knows about Ed Wood is because of a book called The Golden Turkey Awards, which came out in 1980. It was done by Harry and Michael Medved, of the two, the one that might somebody might have heard of is Michael. He later replaced either Siskel or Ebert, take your pick, uh, on yeah. PBS's well-known show, Sneak Previews. And is, I guess, still a film critic 
Joker guy thing. Um, <laughs> he got more and more annoying as time went on. Yeah. Um, but he and his brother originally wrote a book called The 50 Worst Films of All Time. And what they did was a very sort of prescient pre-internet thing. In the back of the book, they listed their address and said, write us about bad films. And so to be fair, they didn't actually make Ed Wood the worst director of all time. The people writing in did. Yeah, they. he wasn't even mentioned in the 50 worst films. The number one bad film, I believe, was Robot Monster. No, the worst film was Plan 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> uh, no, that didn't make the list. Not in yes, the first, yeah, not in, it, the, in the 50 I, worst films? Oh, no, in the 50 worst films. No, 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 no. no. this is in the Golden That's Kirk what Awards. I mean. That's yeah. why people got so outraged, is they claimed the worst movie was, was Robot Monster. And all these people wrote in saying, how can you say that? Have you not seen Plan 9? Do you not know, Ed Wood? And uh, as you say, there was a write-in campaign, and the Golden Turkey Awards seemed to be more of a, you know, vote on who you think the worst is. Right. And by a landslide, it was Ed Wood, which oddly catapulted him to greater fame than he ever had when he was actually making movies. I have to correct you. It was not a landslide. It only won by nine votes. Oh, really? Over whom? Um, Exorcist II, The Heretic. <laughs> oh, all right. You yeah. know why? Because that film is pure evil. <laughs> Pazuzu, I must find Pazuzu. <laughs> that film oh. was one of the reasons that uh, Richard Burton won Worst Actor of All Time yeah. in that particular book. Poor Richard Burton. I, I mean, as they describe in the in the book, he is the proverbial pretty little girl with the pretty little curl right in the middle of his forehead. When he's good, he's very, very good. And when he's bad, he's just the pits. I'm Welsh, I'm poor, and my name is not Richard Burton yet. (laughs) I dreamed of a large pool of scotch. Don't talk about our clown, Martha. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. sorry, these are all mystery mystery science theater lines about Richard Burton. Yeah, Um, but Ed Wood, like, I honestly don't think, uh, because I used to, I love science fiction films, and I would watch them, and I would even, like, set my clock, because things like Forbidden Planet would show up at 3 a.m., that's the only time you could see it. And other than this book, I had never heard... Nope. Oh, Plan 9. Uh, I think it might have gotten in an episode or, or, I'm sorry, an issue of Famous Monsters of Filmland or something. Oh. Um, but good luck trying to see it, because back then it's like, well, you have to hope some TV show is showing it, and, or it's going to show up in some repertory um, theater somewhere. But I would, I, I have to say, I think that um, the Medveds are pretty much responsible for people even remembering Ed Wood. And I think, yeah, I think that's fair. I don't know about you, Max, but when I first found out about that and I read what they were talking about, it's like, oh, I got to see this. <laughs> uh, I don't think I felt that way, like, I got to see this, because the description was like, wow, really? Yeah. But then I think it showed up at a little theater uh, called The Off the Wall. One of the and times. And I think our friend Dan said, oh, we have to go see this. Yeah, and we did, and, and we were amazed. <laughs> we, we were. We're like, this is real? I mean, this isn't a parody? Yeah, for those who have not seen Plan Night, and I'm assuming that's most of you. Mm, um, you never know. Things they talk about are sadly very true. There is a graveyard scene, which is quite honestly a black blanket thrown on the floor of the soundstage, into which yeah. they have punctured holes for the literally, I'm going to guess plywood. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's not cardboard, but they're plywood <laughs> gravestones, which are like paper thin. No, no, some of them are cardboard. Are they? Okay. They are. That's why you see them bend when people kick them. Um, well, one of them falls over. <laughs> well, one of them falls over, but yeah, no, a bunch of them are made of pl- of cardboard. You can see when someone walks by them quickly, they flap. Yeah, and the ground unwrinkles because it's yeah. just carpeting or, or, oh, yeah. or now, towel the, the, or something. This movie was, the 
Plan 9 was made on a budget of, I believe, $60,000, which even <laughs> for 1959, yeah. 57, was it 59? 59. Yep. 59 was not a lot of money. And yet it looks cheaper than even that. Yeah, it's amazing. You don't know. I don't know where the money went. It wasn't to the actors' salaries, because no. Yeah. I mean, although Walcott is, he approaches adequacy with a real zeal. <laughs> yeah, but this was. But he was a nobody. This no. was one of his first acting jobs. Nobody knew who he was. And and uh, the uh, woman who plays his wife is hauntingly terrible. Um, and Tor have- Johnson, the the <laughs> who was. Like George the Animal Steel, Tor Johnson was a Swedish wrestler. I'm going to knock ac- around a bit. <laughs> yeah, with an accent so thick you could spread it on a herring. And as somebody in the movie says, why are you giving him all the dialogue? He's unintelligible. Yeah, yeah. He's very hard to understand, And but Wood loved him and put him in so many, a whole bunch of his movies. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that they, they make fun of both in in uh, Golden Turkey Awards and in this film that were not actually true. These flying saucers were not paper plates. They were actually no, a they were small... Toys. They, they, well, they were, there was a model kit of a, of yeah. a UFO back in the 50s. They released in the 70s. I remember seeing it when I was a kid. And they just spray-printed it silver and sadly attached it to a spray, string and then flung it around the stage. That's true. Yeah. I don't want to get too distracted. I want to get back to talking about Ed Wood himself, but let's talk about the movie itself yeah. for a bit. Uh, so we have a couple of other people in here, one of whom is very mm-hmm. problematic, Jeffrey Jones, who plays Criswell. Oh, boy. Who does, by the way, that is one thing about this movie. The casting is amazing. Yeah. He looks, everybody really does look and behave Mostly. like their real-life counterparts for the most part. I mean... Jeffrey I, Jones... I yeah. Well, Jeffrey Jones, for the, those who aren't equating a name with a face, um, he's probably best known as the principal from Ferris Bueller. Yeah. So that guy. Sadly, yeah. Jeffrey Jones was caught with um, very compromising photos of children on his computer and then <laughs> yeah. went to jail. Yeah. So we don't really talk much about Jeffrey Jones, but he well, is a large part of this film. Yes. And he does a very impressive job playing Criswell, the fake psychic. <laughs> Yeah, who He's, apparently made many appearances on The Tonight Show, so yeah. whatever. He made a lot of predictions, not a single one of which came true. Yeah, no, no. I, by no. the way, I have to give Sarah Jessica Parker some credit. When, early on in the film, when they're reading a review of Ed Wood's play, I think it's a World War One, World War Two play. Yeah, World War II. And she's read, she comes to the part about her, and she says, Do I really have a face like a horse? Because that is a criticism that has been aimed at her many times. People do refer to her as horse-faced. That is unfair. Sarah Jessica is is actually, I'm sorry, I know that's from Rift Tracks, but it cracks me up. Sarah Jessica Parker cracks me up every time. She is actually a very talented person. Uh, She's done, I've I've seen her on stage. She does a really nice job. Yeah. And she married and uh, Matthew Broderick. She she has been married to Matthew Broderick for over twenty years. So she deserves an award for that. I'm sure he's oh, a nice guy. I don't know on. anything about him. I'm sure he's very nice. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. So there, there's a lot of weirdos in this film. Uh, one of them is Vampira, who most people Ooh, will boy. not recognize because she had a TV show in the '50s that she got fired from, which is why she ended up in Plan Nine. Yeah, she um, ended up actually suing Elvira. Mistress of the Dark in the 80s for stealing her act. Which, and if you look at it, 
She kind of did. Yeah, she really did. I would it's, say that uh, Elvira is much more into the humor and the puns, yeah. but the look is, except for the wig, like the, the way that she cinched into that dress, the long nails, the whole vampire thing. I mean, it really is a very distinct echo. Yeah. Vampire uh, was played. Hmm? Her name was Myla Nermi. I don't know why yeah. I know that, but that was the name of the woman who was Vampira. Yeah. And uh, she in the movie, in Ed Wood, she's played by Lisa Marie, who's best known for basically being a model and Tim Burton's girlfriend. Ah. Uh, yes. Okay. She actually does fine. I actually yeah, no she does. She fills out the costume very nicely. And at least it's not, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, his wife. Uh, his wife. Burton's wife? Burton's wife, yeah. What is her name? That actress, I cannot stand her. Oh, Helena Bonham Carter? I don't. Yeah, that's the think, one. Are they married? I didn't yeah. think so. Oh, all right. Think, yeah, they've been together uh, forever. Yeah. Uh, I like I like Helena Bonham Carter. I don't know what she, she's she's gotten a little odd lately, but I think she's done some great stuff. But we can get to that another time. Yeah, and Vampira, she does get the attitude and the body language and the that that husky voice down. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it is rather sad. She insisted that her part in Plan Nine. This is true, by the way. She didn't want to have any lines. Because she yeah. really didn't want to be associated with the movie she was in. Well, there's a good reason for that. Yeah. Um, but the, the other last actor uh, that's really worth talking about, and he's worth talking about a lot, is Martin Landau. Oh, so, Lord, he was amazing. N- not only is his performance worthy of the uh, the Oscar that he did end up winning, if you've seen Martin Landau in the past, most of his roles are really not very interesting. Um, he was in most probably his biggest known roles are him having been in the original TV show version of Mission Impossible with his wife, Barbara Bain, because at that point, if you got Martin Landau, you always got Barbara Bain. Um, (laughs) and then as Commander Koenig in Space 1999, he shows up in a number of large films here and there, not usually in very big parts, but he's been around for a long time. Yeah. Well, he he was in a Hitchcock movie. He was in North by Northwest. Yep. Um, and I don't know what it was about this part, but you might even say he was born to play it. But dear gods, he's brilliant in this part. He is actually brilliant. And he's actually one of the problems I have with the film. Actually, it's not him that I have a problem with. But uh, the film is supposed to be about Ed Wood, but we're, I'm going to say, pretty obviously more interested in Bella. Yeah, I have to say, I, I noticed that more the sec- this this viewing one of my difficulties with Tim Burton is most of a lot of his movies look really cool. He's really good at getting the visual stuff down, mm-hmm. and there's nothing to them. You walk right. out going, "Wow, that looked cool. What the hell was that about?" And in this, it we don't we don't really learn that much about Ed Wood as a person. We see what he does. We don't know why. Right. We don't know if he actually thinks he's a genius. We don't know what drives him to do this. They touch on the transvestism, but it's more, it's, I say, think it's more played for laughs than anything else. Well, so two things I wanted to note. I thought this was actually a really good movie to judge Burton by as a director because it's so stripped down. Like, it doesn't have special effects. There's none of that flash, none of that makeup. Mm-hmm. It still has Johnny Depp in it, Yeah, but it's not one of his typical films where a lot of times you're just taken in by the, oh, it's so pretty. Um, And I got to say, one of the problems I have is both the pacing and the tone. Mm. 
So on one hand, we have Johnny Depp doing Johnny Depp, although I think at this point he still actually learns his lines like a real actor as yeah. opposed to having them fed to him through an earpiece. Yes, that's true. Um, I'd forgotten how cartoonishly he plays the part. He does, and I have a big problem with that. Um, he's very caricaturish. Um, we don't get any, like you just said, we don't get any idea of Ed as a real person except that, oh, he had a vision and he was like, he was very exuberant about making films. That part's probably very true. I honestly don't know another way you could explain any of his movies. Yeah. But when you contrast his performance as Ed with Martin Landau's performance as Bella Lugosi, oh, yeah. it gets kind of like, well, am I supposed to be laughing at this? Because it's really sad. Oh, it's incredibly you know, painful. Just those, and even when you can barely hear Landau, those scenes, we get it twice when he calls Wood on the phone and you just hear, Eddie, help me. Yeah. It's heart, those three words, and it's like, oh. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. And there's one one little contrast I never noticed before, but like when they go to film uh, Bride of the Monster and it's in the middle of the night in the woods and they've stolen a rubber octopus, but have forgotten to steal the motor, which makes its arms move. Which I gotta say, quite honestly, I don't imagine it would have looked all that much better. Probably not. But they basically say, hey, Bella, it's cold. You need to get into this giant puddle of water with this rubber octopus. Grab the arms, roll around, and scream like it's attacking you. And it looks every bit as good as you imagine it does. <laughs> and we see him doing this, and he's rolling around and screaming. Later on, there's this very hard-to-watch scene where he's gone into rehab because Oof, he's goodness. been a heroin addict. He's actually uh, been an alcoholic, and, and regular alcohol doesn't work for him anymore, so he's now been drinking formaldehyde. And he's like, he's at the yeah, end of his rope. He That's was hooked it. on morphine and later hooked yep. on methadone, which, by the way, he was given by doctors for his uh, sciatic neuritis. Yeah. So there's a scene in, in the hospital where he's trying to work the stuff out of his system, and he is screaming and rolling around in the bed, and it's like... So we're comparing this to that humorous scene earlier, and it's like, wow, now it's tragic. Yeah. And that comparison, I think, actually works, because it's like, wow, this is almost like a foreshadowing of something that's real, and it's, and, gonna, it's kind of sad. And but it then, also, I think, suggests of how good Lugosi was, because he's obviously, when he was rolling around with the octopus, he was drawing on something that was really inside him. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've got... Martin Landau, who's actually the film's worth watching just for him. Yeah. And then we've got Depp, and Depp is not the first three letters of depth in this case. Uh, I just made that up. Nice. I know you spell Depp with four, with two Ps. That's fine. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I mean, I've not been a huge fan of, of Burton. Uh, I liked this film. I liked it more when I first saw it. We'll get to that, of course, at the end. Um, I liked Edward Scissorhands. I actually thought it was a really cool modern fairy tale. Um, and you mentioned, I think, last week and and uh, leading up to what movie we're going to watch, that you thought this was only one of two good Burton films. Well, What's the other one? I guess I have to say three, because uh, I think there's this, Beetlejuice, which I really like, mm -hmm. and uh, Big Fish. I like Big Fish, but I have to say, I, do, I remember seeing it going, oh, I actually like this. I really don't remember it. Yeah, again, it's, it's still a Burton film. It's not terribly memorable. There are scenes I remember. I don't remember the movie overall that well. Yeah. So I, I do think it takes a lot of guts to make a movie about another bad director <laughs> and hope that none of that uh, comparison and contrast is shows back up on, on yourself. But to be fair, he is far more 
uh, adept than yeah. he's also ever way was. more successful. Right. This guy's made a, a ton of money, and I don't think any Ed Wood picture ever made a dime. No. Well, they they couldn't even get a, a real release. No. To be fair, I don't think any of them deserved to make it. No, none of them did. He, and yeah, yeah. So which ones have you seen on a big screen? Because we've both seen Plan 9. Oh, I've boy, seen yes. Plan 9 on three different big screens. Let's see. On the big screen? Oh, okay. Which one of Ed Woods? I've seen Plan 9 on the big screen. I saw Robot Monster on the big screen. No, uh, uh, Robot Monster's not Ed Woods. Oh, damn. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm okay. sorry. Bride of the Monster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw that on a big screen. I think that may be it. I think all the others I've seen mostly via Mystery Science Theater 3000. You know, we saw <laughs> The Sinister Urge. And, mm-hmm. uh, oh, what else? Oh, oh so Glenn or Glenda, although that wasn't Mystery Science Theater. Now, I can't remember what part. I know he has a part in uh, Racket Girls. Like, I don't know if he wrote it. Oh, he didn't direct it. No, but I, it's like it has his it has his smell about yes, it. Yes, it, it has the oily touch of Ed Wood all over it. Yeah. But I've seen, uh, I, I in one um, bad movie festival, I saw Glenn or Glenda on mm. the big screen. Um <laughs> Glenner Glenda is Ed's first, I think, full-length feature, um, and he got it because, as they show in this film, he was supposed to be making a movie about sex change, and instead he's like, I know, I'll make a biographical tell-all film about my transvestitism, um, which is a really bizarre movie. Uh, it really there's scenes of buffalo in there and dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, my favorite shot is suddenly for no reason for about three seconds the film cuts to a radiator. Uh, I, there's <laughs> a weird interpretive my... dance number, and it's got the devil in it. Yeah. Um, and at, I, at his wedding, <laughs> and I think Bella's in that. He's supposed to be God. Well, we don't know. That's where pull the string comes from. Yeah. Um, Pull the string. <laughs> the tale must be told. Us. Beware of the big green. Tra- it's so weird. It is really odd. And of course, the whole thing. And it's like the film makes its point about halfway through, and then it just keeps going. Like, uh, oh, I, I, I guess we decided that transvestitism is good. Oh, now we talk about the dinosaur. Okay, we're going to talk about. It. And there's also this weird discussion going on between a cop and I, I can't remember if it's two cops or a cop and a reporter or what, where they're basically going, wow, transvestitism's weird. Well, it's not so weird as you think. Let me tell you about transvestitism. <laughs> and then we get into, yeah. yeah, it's just, it is really weird. And it, how he managed to get near film after that, I don't mean like movies. I mean, like literally plastic film, how he got <laughs> near it after making that movie. I don't know. He did actually get better, which is sort of faint praise. Yeah, that's the- not saying a lot, but they certainly would have been very hard for him to get worse. It's yeah. That's the other sort of fat, fantastic element I have to say in this movie is except for Dolores, pretty much everyone seems to accept Ed Wood's transvestism with just sort of like, oh, okay. I mean, when he is dating... His the woman who would eventually become Miss the Mrs. Ed Wood, Kathy O'Hara, yeah. played by an another a future Oscar winner, Patricia Arquette. Yeah, he tells her, "I like to wear women's clothing. I, I do. I like to have sex with girls, but I like to wear women's clothing." And what's her response? Okay. Yeah. In late nineteen fifties America, I I don't think so. Well, my feeling on my read on that scene to give some credit to the film was. Hey, my dad's in here, and he's been in rehab, and he's either a junkie or he's a drunk eh, or whatever. All right, that's fair. So, Maybe that's it. She's you know, 
It's like, like, hey, if you accept that, I'll accept this. I don't know. Maybe it is like, well, okay, you're not a drunk or a junkie. I guess wearing women's clothes comparatively is pretty harmless. Yeah. Um, One of the things I've read about Ed Wood, because I've read a bunch about Ed Wood, because uh, our favorite two reasons, stuff and reasons. Yeah. and that was that he was actually very masculine. Like, he was a Marine. <laughs> uh, wow. He got wounded. Yeah, he got really? wounded. But everyone said, oh, yeah, he was he was a really a man's man kind of thing. And, and uh, the women's clothes, nobody had any idea why. They don't attempt to explain it yeah. in this movie. Sadly, he attempts to explain it in Glenn or Glenda. But yeah. whatever. Um, well, so th- we don't really know. Yeah, but. Being a transvestite has nothing to do with masculinity. God, look, at, look at Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway was a was a transvestite. Yes, he was. He liked to wear women's clothes. That was uh, oh, yeah. They found. I mean, that we don't know about Edgar Hoover. They f- but out Edgar Hoover. Who? Oh, Hoover. Shh, <laughs> quiet. If they're listening, you could get us in trouble. Oh, who <laughs> am I kidding? No one's listening. One of the <laughs> one of the things I really wish they had explored more in this movie because it, I thought it was an interesting question. What makes Woods' friends so loyal to him? I mean, especially people like. You know Paul Marco, the you know who is played by by a guy named Max Casella, who is, Max. is best known as Doogie Hauser's best friend from Doogie yeah. Hauser, MD. I I actually like Max Casella. I never watched Doogie Hauser. I saw him in this, and I saw him in Newsies. Um, and he's got that voice. It's a voice you don't come across anymore. That's like I'm from here. Yeah, and there's a, no mistaking where he's from. It is a friggin' New York accent. That's what that is. And you used to be able to build a career on a voice yeah. like that. And Max Casella, basically, as far as I can tell, I don't remember the last time I saw him in anything, which is too bad. He's still working. I actually like him. He's still working. Good for him. Good because I, you know, he's. I actually like his voice. I think his voice is oh, great. Yeah. The fact that it is so that new york accent um you don't you just don't come across it everyone's so homogenized now no that's a heavy bronx accent you could tell but why he is just he's like a puppy with the with ed he just does whatever ed says he never questions anything why i'd like to know why and why are any of them what is his how does he how did he meet bunny how is it that tor johnson hung around with him for so long why? Why well, did Vampira put up with him? Because she obviously, you know, disliked him for initially. Well, she made one movie with him. My feeling is, is that they were all kind of weirdos. Mm. Criswell was certainly not mm. exactly on a straight beam. Um, Tor Johnson was an ex wrestler at that point, and uh, although they portray him as a as a child in the film, uh, Tor Johnson's son was actually instrument instrumental in getting some of the major props for Ed's film because Tor Johnson's son Carl was a cop. Oh, <laughs> so the reason they had actual police cars was because <laughs> Carl would drive them to the oh, set. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bunny Breckenridge. So here's a guy who wants to become a woman in the 1950s. Yeah. Ed's a transvestite. I totally see why those two would. It's like, hey, the weirdos have to hang out. Uh, Paul Marco, as it turns out, actually believed that his Kelton the Cop character yeah. was a beloved character. Wow. So my feeling is Ed gave him a chance to act. Okay, so he's like, fellow deluded. Okay. Yeah, I think it's just this group of people that were hanging on to each other with the hopes of you know, being something or somebody or, you know, at the very least, someone that they could be themselves with. That's my feeling. Um, they, of course, don't. I have no idea what Paul Marco is really like in person because nobody does. Well, he's, right? he is no- the head of the Paul Marco fan club. Right. So I think that should have told you a lot <laughs> right there. 
Um, and also the, the other guy in there, I can't remember his name. He played the other cop, uh, apparently was called at one point the John Gielgud of bad movies. Oh, yeah. I forget the, the actor's name. The, the guy who plays him in Ed Wood is a classic character actor. Yeah. I think he was um, but, actually, I think he was Noble Pilcher in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Dr. Okay. Dr. Pilcher, one of the uh, insect experts. But I, you know, I, that's my best guest, you know, uh, so... I do have a, a couple of questions sure. for you if we have time for oh, them. Yeah. So, um, why did Tim Burton make this movie? Eh. Who is this for? Do you have any idea? <laughs> I, don't, I mean, it's for you and me, right? <laughs> yeah, it's clearly it's clearly for it's for movie freaks. It's for movie nerds like us. It's for people who know who Edward people who read the Golden Turkey Awards. It's yeah. For people who enjoy movies that are so bad they're funny, yeah, and I and that's a sizable crowd. But also, let's face it, Tim Burton makes movies because he thinks the idea is cool. At least that's what he used to do. I kind of admired that. Yeah, his earlier yeah films. his early stuff. It was like I think this is a neat idea. I want to do a movie about it. Yeah, and then he got to Batman. And well, I don't know what happened there. Then he got to, then he did Sweeney Todd and. Yeah. Yeah, and the the Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. And, uh, I, but otherwise, I'm like, how did Touchstone say yes? I can only guess that he had made so much money with his other films. We're like, yeah, whatever you want, I'm sure it's going to be great. But it's like, I want to make a movie. I want to make a biopic about somebody nobody's heard of. Again, this fits very much into the, our theme of the 90s. This was an experimental time. This was when people were allowed to t- still allowed to take chances and yeah. do risky films. And this was a risk. This was a really risky. And not exactly, didn't exactly pay off film. No. And I remember when I saw the previews to this, it's like, I can't believe they're making a movie about Ed Wood. I thought it was, I, the first time I saw it, I thought it was a joke. I, yeah. I thought, oh, oh, that's great that they're doing a movie about Ed Wood. That's all, wait, what? Yeah. Um, I, okay. Yeah. And to be fair, Ed was a character, and there obviously was stuff to, to write a story about. Um, even, you know, it's, an, it's like any biopic. There's stuff in here that's probably not true and then there's stuff that is um some some of the films were more egregious having read a bunch about ed like max said they left out some of the worst parts like the alcoholism which to be fair came more later in life no 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 dolores fuller claims that's one of the things she didn't like about the movie is that it implied she left him because of uh, his movies and his transvestism it was she says it was because he was a raging drunk and he would get abusive well, I know he did later in life as well, even with Kathy. Like, at the point like they were living in... Uh, there's actually a point where they're getting thrown out of their apartment. That did happen later on. Yeah. And he ended up staying with, you know, one of the few friends he had left. This is back in, at late, late in the 70s. Um, poor Ed actually died at 54. Yeah. He was not old at all. But he was literally watching a football game, and he passed away watching a football game in his friend's house. Um, but they had nothing. Like, they had, he had no copies of his films he had literally nothing they had dogs they had a lot of dogs yeah uh, but i knew it got out of control later on but it's like i don't know how out of control it could have been when dolores was with him because he got the damn movies made he did show, he, he was say this about him he always showed up on time he always he always got his movies done under on schedule and usually <laughs> under budget and usually with one take yeah that was uh, the thing which, he, he did not yeah. believe in two takes nope yeah, um, here, you know, of the time, because obviously we could point fingers at later directors, but of the time, would you have given him worst director? Oh. 
You know, that's a hard question because there were a lot of bad Let's face it, there still are, and have always been a lot of really crappy directors. Yes. In the 1950s and 60s, I mean, I would certainly put him in the top five. Oh, yeah. But like the guy who did Robot Monster or some of... That's Phil Tucker. Yeah, yeah, or uh, (laughs) what's his name? What's it? One-Shot Bodine or... Uh, Yeah, yeah, William One-Shot Bodine. Or Cash Uh, Flag or... uh, Ray Dennis Steckler, Robert Lippert. There were some... uh, There were some very bad directors, but honestly, in terms of just uh, overall badness, getting bad actors, a terrible script, crappy directing, I think Ed Wood is certainly near the top of the heap. Or the bottom. I would say Ray Dennis is worse. Um, his mo- uh, the only film people really have seen at all, and it's only because of MST, is the incredibly strange creatures Ugh. who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Yes, that's actually the title. Yeah. And it is an incomprehensible mess, although it does have songs in it. <laughs> <laughs> Technically. Um, I have recently watched some more of Mr. Steckler's films on YouTube, and they just get markedly worse. Worse. Um, Phil Tucker. So, Robot Monster. For those who don't know, Robot Monster, the alien, is literally a guy in a gorilla suit with a porthole on his head. Yeah, it's a, it's diving, a helmet. diving helmet. That was it. They could, that was all they could <laughs> afford. <laughs> And he communicates throughout his space <laughs> with a bubble machine. A billion in a bubble machine. <laughs> I I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. Yeah, they were um, terrible. I do think I think there are. It's a tight race, but I th- always felt that Ed Wood, in effect, was the worst. Simply because I th- he's probably one of the most prolific. He just never stopped. I don't know, Coleman Francis. Uh, Coleman Francis did these horrible films like Red Zone Cuba and Rocket Attack USA, where there's literally no characters you can see their mouths moving if they're talking. It's all dubbed in later from behind, or it's narration. Like, imagine watching an already boring film almost entirely narrated. Yeah, but they didn't always look like they were filmed at somebody's backyard. Uh... Really? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it really looks like they were driving down the road, and Coleman was like, "Hey, this looks good. Let's shoot." I here. never saw any Coleman Francis character knock over a tombstone because it was made of cardboard. <laughs> I suppose. It, I wonder it's, how he it's, got the money for a Sinister Urge. I, I have no idea. Because that's, I think that's the most expensive production that Ed was part. That or either that or a uh, jailbait, not jailbait. Um, uh, the the girl one. Um, oh, Rocket Girls. Rocket Girls. Yeah. Rocket Girls. Because uh, oh. that one has cars in it. Yeah, yeah, and it has more than one has setting. Cars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say. It's I, like a job for Zimmerman. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. I, I did want to um, tell one last story about Bella Lugosi that I always found very yeah. touching. Um, he did, in, you know, as the movie shows, he died before Plan Nine started filming. Yeah, and they they got they did get. Uh, Kathy's chiropractor as a stand-in, despite being what thirty years younger, six inches taller, and being bald, they got him to play uh, Bella, but by holding a cape up over his face. Doctor Tom. Doctor Tom. Oh, but yeah. Bella did. You know, he passed on when he was only like seventy-four. And uh, there is a story that, that he was as his uh, one of his wives. It was not his wish, by the way. It was one of his wives wanted him to be buried in his full Dracula regalia, and he was mm. the whole thing, the cape, the tux. What is less well known, and this this is just a this is a legend. I don't know if it's true or not. Boris Karloff came to the body viewing. I don't think he was at the funeral, but he came to view the body. 
people were there like, oh my gosh, that's Boris Karloff. And allegedly he walked over, stood over the casket, leaned down, and murmured, you're not just putting me on, are you, sweetie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know if it's true, but I like to believe it is. I love that story. Because obviously Karloff didn't have any bad blood toward Lugosi. Well, at least according to that story. According to that story, well, also Lugosi went on to have, I mean, uh, Karloff went on to have a very long career. Yeah, and Lugosi just, sadly, Dracula was his pinnacle, and that went down from there. That was pretty much it. Um, Yeah, Ed Wood. So I know we've talked a lot about Ed Wood, the person, and not as much about the film. Um, Do you think the black and white worked? I mean, this is 1994? Yeah, 94. And so, so they're releasing a black and white movie into the theaters. Do you, uh, do you think it works? I do actually. I liked it. I like the fact that was one of the few things, uh, well, one of several things I liked about the movie, because as you say, everything Wood did was in black and white, and this really right. recalled the fifties. And I think, again, it's one thing Burton is good at, and that's visuals. You know, in terms of the cinematography, I think it looks really good. I, I like the way that, that the black and white with the way they recreate the scenes from Woods movies. They do that beautifully. Uh, the only problem, of course, is even the worst actor in Burton's movie is so much better than the best actors in any of Woods movies. And it is really hard for a good actor to pretend to be a bad actor without sounding, you know, like they're doing a joke. It is incredibly difficult, the, but you can do it. But you have to be really I thought good. the woman playing Loretta King was particularly bad. Which one was she? She is the one who uh, Ed thinks is going to pay for. Oh, that was, uh, oh, it'd be nice. That is Martin Landau's daughter, Juliet. That may be. That's Juliet Landau. No, she did not do a good job. She did go on to great success on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, playing the vampire Drusilla. Well, good for her. Yeah, no, she because was not convincing. One, no liquids. I'm allergic to all liquids. Okay. <laughs> yeah, her delivery is very weird because yeah, it's it's more like Depp, you know, because Depp's delivery is very strange in this movie. Yes, it is. It's the most, you know, like I said, cartoonish. She sort of does the same thing, and again, it doesn't fit. I think she was trying to act like she saw the woman acting in Bride of the Monster. That may be it. As opposed to acting like a person. That may be it. Um, but yeah, I, I thought she would, she stood out for me as like, oh, she's not very good. Mm. Um, but I, I have, I, we could go on and on cause Max and I love bad movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've seen far, like, sadly, here's one of the things that I thought was not really touched on in the film and there's no reason for it to, is that we have learned nothing from Bad <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there are people out there now making movies, somehow getting money. And honestly, it's the same story. These people somehow con money out of people. And they make films like Birdemic. Yeah, or The Room. And you just sit... Or The Room. Well, actually, no, he used his own money. Oh, that's right, he paid for that himself. Tommy Wiseau Mm -hmm. thinks he's the most wonderful thing in the world, and I need to make a movie about how wonderful I am and how horribly my my friends treat me. You tear me apart, Lisa! (laughs) (laughs) Um... And we've literally learned nothing. Yeah, um, it's... We keep finding new films on the uh, thanks to Rift Tracks. Rifttracks.com, you should go there. Yeah. Uh, films that were made mostly in like the 80s and 90s, but you're just like, even for the rent one, get 10 free bin, why did this get made? It's a, um, we see it, it's not just the 80s and 90s, you see it today. You see, you know, James yeah. Wynn is still trying to make movies. You get the Sharknado yeah. movies, you get all those... <laughs> 
terrible well, sci-fi channel movies. And now, to be fair, I think Sharknado is one of those films where they're actually not trying to make a good film. Yeah. And they're trying to ride on that camp thing. I think Sharknado is a rare example where it actually works. Because I actually am... I, Sharknado delights me because it's so terrible. <laughs> uh, I think they actually are in some way being sincere. And that's the thing. That's the deal with Ed Wood. Ed Wood was sincere. Absolutely. And that's what makes his movies... I don't know about watchable, but there's something intriguing about them because he takes it yeah. so seriously. That's a, the problem with movies that there are a lot of movies that try to make themselves cult classics. They come out and yep. say things like we like Repo, the genetic opera, and uh, the lost skeleton of cadaver, lost skeleton of cadaver, uh, attack of the attack killer, of the killer tomatoes. tomatoes. Yep. There are a bunch, and they are trying too hard to be yep. campy, and you can't do it that way you, because it's obvious that they think it's a joke. Yeah, and it's the ones who really believe it, who take it seriously, like Wood did. Yeah, but again, I so wish good. this movie had told us more about him. Yeah, did he think well, he was a genius? Did he? I mean, there's a whole sequence which I'm almost, I'm like 99 percent sure is apocryphal, where he meets Orson Welles in, oh, in yeah. Musso and Frank's. <laughs> By the way, I love that Musso and Frank's in the Brown Derby are in this. I love old Hollywood icons like that, but. He, did he really think he was another Orson Welles? I I don't know if he thought he was another Orson Welles, but he certainly thought of himself. I, you know, the, the reason they draw a parallel in the movie is because, oh, look, Orson Welles, when he was 26, wrote, directed, and starred in his most... One of, the, one of the films that's been considered the greatest American film for a very long time. I don't know if it's still considered that, but, it you know, Citizen Kane mm. is a pretty remarkable film. It is. Um, and Ed certainly strove... To be near that, <laughs> um, but I don't. I honestly don't know if he idolized Wells in particular, and, uh, or, or tried to be Wells. And this movie he, doesn't he tell us. Again, it's yeah. a very Tim Burton movie. It looks interesting. It's got some interesting aspects, and there's nothing under the surface. But before we get too far into that, yep. the roundup. Let's get to that. So, Max. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have to work those pauses in, or I have nothing right, to edit. Right, right. Max, yes. we saw this when it came out. Both of us did. Yes, we did. And we liked it at the time. I don't think I've seen it since. Strangely, I, I don't. Have... I think I saw it uh, maybe twenty years ago. So, how does it hold up for you? Not as well as I hoped. Okay. I remember so I... really liking it when it came out and being impressed and saying, "Wow, Tim Burton actually did something I really liked." And. Now that I see it again, it's like this is still very much a Tim Burton movie. He's very concerned with how it looks. He's concerned with like making it clever, and uh, now admit it again, uh, having intriguing characters that we know nothing about. Yeah. It's all surface, except for a little bit of Bella Lugosi, and honestly, I credit that entirely to Martin Landau. Mm. I don't think. Uh, I wish the fo there'd been more about him, but we still don't know that much about him. And again, they changed so much. He had five wives, that guy. Yeah. We don't, went, oh, it's like, oh, I'm all alone. It's like, no, no, he wasn't. Mm. What about you? What do you think? I'm pretty much in the same boat. I was tickled when this film came out because I was like, oh my God, I'm actually going to see something about Ed Wood on a big screen that's not by Ed yeah. Wood. And at the time, I didn't dislike Tim Burton, you know, I had seen Edward Scissorhands, which I thought was very touching. I thought Johnny Depp, his performance in that film was a huge departure from 21 Jump Street, which I'd never even seen, but he just seemed like he was going to be another one of those teen heartthrob type actors. 
and he proved for a while that no, he was actually interested in doing character. Um, and I, I was tickled. It's like all these films that I've either seen or have dying to see uh, how they made them. This is great. I was, you know, but I, you know, I'm looking back now. It's like again, who, is this really just for us film nerds? Because there's five. You know, as far as you know, in comparison to the general movie viewing public, there's five. Um, I know mean, there's more than that, but like if you 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 spent 18 million, there's not enough people that no, it's not going to happen. So I I don't know who it's for. Uh, for our audience here, um, sure, watch it if you want. I think you're mostly going to go. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't. What is what is planet? What is uh, Glenn or Glenda? What is that? I don't understand. The film doesn't really tell you. If you Although, want to see just a bravura performance uh, by Martin Landau, it's I'm telling you the movie is worth it just for him. It's a little long; it's over two hours. Yes, but the pacing. Is, yeah, it is also at times it drags. Yeah, one of my notes was, and Bella dies, and he takes the movie with him, <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't because we have like another half an hour to go yeah, at that point. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's doesn't hold up. And one thing, uh, we didn't get to talk about this last week, but um, I don't think it was particularly influential. Although the idea of the auteur, <clears throat> excuse me, auteur, that word, that French <laughs> word, uh, is we don't see that much anymore. Hollywood doesn't let that happen as much as it did back then. Obviously, Touchstone was like, sure, take a chance. Uh, I don't think this film was particularly um influential just like i don't think groundhog day was influential on film its plot would be influential on other stories like tv shows and stuff yeah many tv shows there are even they use the plot in other movies too there are i mean heck what is it happy death day to you i think is a, a person waking up on the same day every day and trying to change their fate so the plot was very influential no the style and the humor of groundhog day i don't know i i would say it had some influence, but not terribly. And this one, no, I think this just one is sort of there. I yeah. don't think it shaped anything else. I'm is- still tickled because of like when they show them. Well, when we actually see them shooting them shooting Glenn or Glenda or Plan Nine, they do a great job of mirroring the real films. Sadly, yeah. the real films actually don't look quite as good as they that, do. In yeah, this. that that is a problem. But yeah. <laughs> And parts are funny, you know, because that is the real dialogue, and that's what's going on. But Bella, I, Martin Landau stands out even more than he did then. It, it is an amazing performance. Um, but yeah, I, if you skip this one, I'd understand. But if you've ever wondered how bad can movies get, this is a really good glimpse into how bad they can get. Yeah. And it's still not even close. And I wish Try. it had been more of a glimpse into the mind of someone who makes movies that bad. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think no, it's we, yeah, it's very descriptive, but there's not much analysis. We get a puppet. That's it. Yeah. So, but, but next week, as we are for our final film of the '90s, what's that? This time we mean it. <laughs> what's what film will that be, Pinky? So we're gonna go back uh, along the auteur. <coughs> Excuse me. Stop it! You're gonna hurt yourself. I know. I'm not French. Uh, we're going to go along that sort of auteur line again. Uh, something a little less uh, humorous. Um, we're going to go, you know where we're going to go, eh? Oh, we're sure. going to go way, we're going to go way back to like where it's all, all snowy and cold and stuff. Oh, crepes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a bad winter, but nothing like the winter of 91. Oh, crepes, oh, I'll tell no, you right that, there. That oh, yeah, that's cold... I go outside and the stuff up my nose just freeze oh, right yeah. up. <laughs> oh, it's so ding dang cold. I'll tell you that for free. We are going to be watching an early Coen Brothers film. The Coen Brothers, who would have a large 
slate of films after this one, but I think this is the film that really made me say, who are the Coen brothers? Uh, and it's a film that I, to this day, I'm going to have to look this up next week because I don't know why it's called this because it doesn't take place there. But Part of, part of it does. Yeah, it's like five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we were going to be watching... Fargo. Oh, yeah. North Dakota. <laughs> Fargo. Yeah, you know, the kids went up there for the weekend. They had a lovely time. I'm cooperating with you. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it is an Academy Award winning film. At least I remember distinctly that Frances McDermott win wins an Academy, a very well-deserved Academy Award for her part in that. I don't yep. remember if it won anything else. Uh, we have William H. Macy's in it. We have uh, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi in a, an amazing part in it. But uh, let's go back to Fargo, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Next week on Max Mike Movies. Catch it! This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Thank you.